Welcome to the My Risk Advisor podcast. This podcast is for anyone in the Australian financial planning ecosystem with a focus on life risk insurance. Whether you're a seasoned advisor or just starting out, I think you'll get heaps of value out of this podcast. I'm your host, Phil Thompson, and I'm a life risk insurance specialist, and you're listening to My Risk Advisor. Hey there, welcome to the My Risk Advisor podcast. Today with me, I've got Anthony Campbell from Business Risk Solutions. So we have a really good chat about Anthony's journey. He's been in business 18 months and his journey personally and professionally. We have a chat about his outlook um, in the last 18 months, what he'd do differently and what he's thinking about doing in the future. This is a great chat. I know you'll get value out of it, so get stuck in. All right, Anthony, thanks heaps for joining me today. So first of all, give us an understanding of your business and, and your journey and advice today. Thanks, Phil. Um, yeah, my business is insurance only. I kicked off about 18 months ago, um, came into the industry, into my dad's business, who was also a lifey. That was uh, early 2000s, spent 13 years at Commonwealth Bank in business banking. And that was predominantly risk and where I, yeah, came to enjoy risk advice. So I left there, floated around for a little while and then started up my business. Yeah, fantastic. And so you were with ComBank for 13 years? I sure was. Yeah, amazing. How was that journey moving from like a corporate environment into being being self-employed? Um, it was a great learning experience. Um, my clients were pretty much 90% were self-employed. So I've learned a lot from them. Um, Apart from that, working in an office with 40-odd people, a lot of them had become friends, to then working as a one-man band, staff work remotely, see clients remotely. Um, yeah, very different environment. So it's taken a bit of getting used to, but I'm enjoying the process. Yeah, amazing. And, and so your business name is Business Risk Solutions? Business Risk Solutions, that's it. What, and... and you know, outside of the obvious that it kind of says exactly what you do, um, is is that the reason you you named it Business Risk Solutions? Because you're helping business owners protect the, the risk of their business? Most of my clients, yeah, are business owners. Uh, referrals come through from uh, the financial planners, accountants, mortgage brokers. So, yeah, a lot of my clients are business owners. In relation to solutions, I want to be looking at doing more than just selling insurance. Um want to putting things in place to help clients and help them connect. There's a lot of financial risks for business owners, um, whether it be a sole trader that doesn't send an invoice for 12 months because they just don't have time and don't have a bookkeeper, uh, through to a larger company that doesn't have buy-sell insurance set up and doesn't have a correct agreement set up. So there's a lot of risks there and I'd like to be able to address them all. Yeah, great. And so you've been in business 18 months now um, and, and just correct me if I'm wrong, you started from scratch, no clients, no nothing. Um, had a small portfolio. Yeah. Very okay. small. Yeah. Amazing. And so how's the, last, how's the journey of the last 18 months gone? It has been a massive learning experience. Um, I kicked off early last year. The same month I started my business, I um, also went through separation, moved house, um, had three mortgages to pay, no income for six to nine months and working by myself. So it was a massive learning experience. But it's, um, yeah, it, it has been a good experience. If I was to look at each quarter, um, it's grown. 
last two months have actually been my most productive two months of my career, not just of the business start since the business started. So, yeah, growing confidence that I've made the right decision. Amazing. It's good to good to get those wins on the board. Um, and uh, that one of the beautiful things about being self-employed and newly self-employed is is it is a roller coaster. So when you have the the best two months of your your whole career, you're you're riding the high, and then and it can't, it will come down, no doubt. Um, being self-employed, and then it, yeah, you just got to ride that roller coaster. Yeah, I keep reminding myself it doesn't matter how good or how bad it is. At some point, it's going to change. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So looking back, I guess preparing to be self-employed, how did you think about that? Were you, you know, saving up for a number of years? Did you just kind of get fed up eventually and pull the pin? Was it because there was a redundancy? Like help me understand kind of the, the main, you know, preparation prior to starting Business Risk Solutions. Um, life kind of just happened and didn't go to plan. So uh, the decision was made just to kick off doing it's something I've been wanting to do for a long time but I just didn't have the courage to do it so um, I went to a management seminar many years ago a guy started spoke spoke um, he said my, hi my name's Mick Flynn I own Darwin real estate and I live on the Gold Coast and that intrigued me he had systems in place for rental departments um, sales departments overall management that allowed him that flexible flexibility and freedom so being self-employed has been on the radar for a while. Mm. And, and the beautiful thing about being self-employed is you give up the 40-hour the work week to have more flexibility, more money, and then you go self-employed. You're working 80 hours, you're getting paid less. <laughs> uh, that's, I think I love about being self-employed is, is that initial journey. It's like flipping the whole world upside down of what you think that, that own goal will be. Yeah, um, I would like to know what my hourly rate is right now. Yeah, that's right. And then, you know, eventually as you keep on investing in it, as you keep on building it and growing it, it does become that reality. Um, well, I'm hoping so one day for me um, that that will become my reality. Um, but that is that is the beautiful thing about being self-employed. And so and so, your dad, he was a risky. Is he still is he still in the business? No, he's, he's retired now. He retired, uh, it would be close to 2010. Um, so he's ex-legal in general. Um, I don't know how many times I've driven to the Gold Coast or somewhere on holidays and we've listened to cassettes. Um, for those that don't know what cassettes are, maybe we'll Google it. Um, listened to cassettes about life insurance and, and sales. So I came into the industry not completely blind. Um, I had a bit of an understanding. And my plan was to get into investments. Um, investments are sexy. Insurance is just selling a product. Um, but the more... I, the, the longer I continued, the more I enjoyed insurance. And it's, it, you know, you're selling something that people aren't going to wake up on Saturday morning and say, honey, let's go and look at some, you know, life insurance policies. Um, so we're selling something that hopefully never becomes good value. And I, I like that. Yeah, it's re- it is interesting, the, the insurance world as advisors, like, you know, we, f- we feel like the same, like investments are sexy, they're exciting to talk about. And I was just on Facebook um, today and, and looking at a post on a Facebook group and, and this, this Facebook group is about um, like financial independence, retire early, all about people, 
you know, building investments to build passive income. And, and often the, within the group, it can be pretty anti-insurance because, well, I'm spending money. Why don't I just build investments? And, and the post was really sad. It was about someone who, you know, had cancer at, you know, mid thirties and now living with their family. And they were on track to, you know, their Excel spreadsheet said that they'll retire at 50, but, um, but life happened. Something came in, and and it meant that they weren't able to kind of build up the investment portfolio to sustain that long term. And now they're at not even square one. They're they're well behind because they didn't have any insurance cover in place. And it was it was even sadder that they moved super funds with insurance to a super fund, and they were in the process of setting up insurance. And it was obviously horrendous timing and really you know bad circumstance. But I, I just think to myself, like at the end of the day, what we do in, with insurance, it's like we just work for a socialist system whereby, you know, the many will pay for the few um, when it comes to insurance. And and if you're unlucky to be the one claiming, then then great. I, my premiums that I've never claimed on has paid for your ability to do that. Um, but it is, it can be difficult talking to people and saying, yes, you're spending thousands of dollars a year on something you hope to never use. Yeah, my dad, when I was 20 and started working, he bought home, this is pre any advice, process as far as statements of advice. He just brought home some paperwork and signed, signed me up for income protection and said, you need this. Mm. Um, I'm now 50 and I'll tell clients, that's 30 years of premiums that I won't get back um, and I haven't needed. But I spoke to, I had two conversations a couple of weeks ago, uh, one on the Monday with someone that wasn't a client. Um, their spouse passed away in an accident. In her words, the bank forced her to sell the investment property and then a few years later, um, she sold the farm because she couldn't handle it. The next day, I spoke to a client that was, or the lady that was a client, and they became a client five years ago. And since then, her spouse has passed away. She's debt-free in the home, debt-free in the, debt-free in the business, um, has money in the bank. I don't, I don't help her grieving, but I've taken away the financial pressure. Mm. Yeah, and 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 so I guess insurance only is a, it's an interesting business where you know I don't I don't know your pricing model and I'll, I'll I'm interested to understand how you, how you're pricing, but um, it is a long process. Um, and so starting out a business being a hundred percent insurance only, were you tempted to look at you know um, doing holistic advice or bringing in other services to supplement kind of maybe that delay that initial delay in in income? Uh, yeah, I was. I started off thinking I'll do investment advice or superannuation advice for my risk clients only. Um, I've got clients that, you know, self-employed or might have started a sole trader, they're 50 years old, earning good money, have lots of property, um, but have maybe $30,000, $40,000 in super. Um, one comes to mind where there's, yeah, he has $40,000 in super. A previous advisor had set up the insurances, so he's got four or $5,000 a year coming out of super, and less than that going in because even though he earns good money, he's not on a good salary. Mm. So, um, yeah, so I did consider that. Um, but the more I, yeah, the longer it, go, it goes, the more I'm comfortable with just giving insurance advice. And if I have clients that want investment advice or superannuation advice, um, I know some good people I can refer them to. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's the interesting thing these days, you know, more and more I'm seeing that, you know, advisors are going, well, 
that doesn't fit into my wheelhouse. I don't need to take on every client for everything. Um, I'll just work with other people who, who can do that and they do that really well. They've built the systems and processes in place to, to be able to do that. Um, and, you know, coming back to your business, you can, all, you can, you can create that, um, you know, that Darwin real estate business and live in Gold Coast if you build the systems and processes and it's very difficult to do that unless you kind of um, – it, it's not impossible. There are, there are definitely great businesses out there who do holistic advice and have very good systems. But, but in my view, like we do insurance only, we do a lot of volume and, uh, you know, the, the list only grows in terms of what we can improve and we only do insurance. Um, and so it does make it easier to identify where, where the business is lacking and where we can improve if you're just doing kind of one thing. I've also I did I didn't consider this would happen so quickly, or as much as it does. But I get referrals from financial planners. I've, I've lately I'm getting financial planners contact me say, "Can we catch up and have a chat?" Um, because they know that I do risk only. So I guess the assumption is that I must know it inside and out. Um, but I don't do investments, so I'm not going to be trying to you know, steal the client or if it's a mortgage broker and they've got a plan for an investment property, I'm not going to be jeopardising that plan because I'm only dealing with the risk. So I find that positions me as an expert um, but also positions me as someone who's only going to talk about risk. And and coming from CBA, so my understanding that there was a somewhat limited APL there. Have you how have you found being self employed? Are you still sticking to those core insurers that you previously worked with and and were really tight with? Or have you broadened that um, view on insurance? Like help me understand in terms of your your philosophy around recommending different insurers. Yeah, the three main insurers I dealt with were OnePath, Astron, and Commonsure. Um, so we don't need to guess what's happened there. Yeah. Um, Astron and OnePath were fantastic for those three tier definitions. So they were the three main ones. I'd, and again, back in my dad's business, it was Legal and General, which became Commonsure. So that changed, um, obviously. Um, I've got four advice, four providers I mainly look at now. Um, yep. I'll say four, um, Zurich, OnePath, Neos, and MetLife. I will look at others if need be, but that's the probably the four I go to first. Yeah, cool. Yeah, so, I mean, your, your philosophy is still to kind of, you know, don't, don't cast the net crazy wide because, you know, if those four – they're going to kind of cater for majority of the client's needs anyway. Yeah, and Neos has only really come back into it since they've offered age 70. Oh, sorry, 70%, I should yeah. say. Yeah, um, yeah. That's They've come back into it. MetLife have got the great IP. Um, I've got some doubts with their um, back office, but they've got a great IP product. Um, but all, all those providers have 70%. Um, income protection so that's why I look at them and having limit like having those relationships means I can just call an underwriter not just a hotline I can call an underwriter that I have a relationship with and say look Mm. I've got this client they've got a BMI of 35 they've got this blood pressure what do you think so it helps and I mean that is that is the good thing that I probably underestimate Um, you know a staff member who's been working with me for six months she's like 
I didn't know we got all these extra benefits from insurance providers because we specialize. And I was I was just rattling off like, oh, we get, you know, some some you know loading waivers and we get, you know, preferred service from different providers. There's some premium discounts for some providers. And you know, I just kind of rattled these these benefits that we as a business get because insurers can't pay me an extra commission um, for setting up a policy, but they can, you know, benefit our clients. Um, and so, so some of them do offer these kind of priority um, services that, you know, the, if you're doing three policies a month, then, then it's unlikely you're going to kind of, you know, meet their metrics of what, what's required to be on those, those priority service offerings. Um, but when you start doing volume or when you're specializing, they, they want to be in, in kind of your orbit more. And so they, they provide these benefits to the clients. And, um, and that is a good thing about, you know, doing one thing. And, and it's the same for, Every other area of financial advice, when you're doing a lot of it, or you do, you you're really specialising it. That's when you can kind of get some benefits f- that we can pass on to our clients. Absolutely, and and like terms and stuff. Like you know, d- d- underwriting is very strict these days, and and it's not like you're getting. It's not like the, the good old days, which I was never around, or or didn't do much volume of insurance around the good old days. But you know, it's not like we can call them up and say, hey, you know, just waive that mental health exclusion, and I'll give you another three policies like underwriters are not allowed to do that um but there is you know things that are edge case and just understanding the underwriter and and you know giving giving more evidence as a specialist advisor um does help that that conversation with the underwriter and and they know us more and they understand when we say hey this is what we believe and this is what we think is truth they take that a bit more serious yeah i've got a client i'm pretty advice for at the moment not together for the moment he is a banker, was referred through to me, he got cover in place that's just been reinstated because it had lapsed and there's a loading, small loading. Um, so we had a conversation and he asked if, you know, what we could be looking at and I, you know, I got his height, weight, blood pressure and from that I spoke to an underwriter and I said, I think we can do better. We can get rid of that loading for you. 50, he had a 50% loading. I, th- I think we can get rid of that. Uh, but along the lines of what you were just talking about, even if we can't, I've got a provider that will look at waiving it if it is 50%. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And um, help me understand your kind of pricing model. So you've come in doing insurance only, but pretty much a, a fresh new business. Very, you know, you said there was a small portfolio of clients, but but not a huge volume. Um, how how are you pricing your advice at the moment? Uh, it's commission only. It's something that I am constantly thinking about as far as fee for service. I haven't gone down that path as yet. The more clients I get from referrals from other financial planners, especially the clients that are more complicated, I'm starting to get them ask me questions. So how much is this? Um, so I, I'm big, I'm open to fee for service, um, just with. Um, I guess the storm that I started my business in. Um, I just want to get things happening smooth, and then I'll start to look at that a bit, later, a bit later on. Mm. Yeah, and and is there is there any mechanism like if you get a decline or a you know someone pulls a pin? Do you have any kind of t- terms of service or terms of agreement that says, "Hey, I will charge you a fee," or it's just Pure commission. If we get the deal done, we get the deal done. We get paid. If we don't, then then Anthony cops the loss. It's just pure commission. Um, I don't have a lot of declines. I guess um, pre-assessments. I, I think I've probably got about a ninety percent completion rate. So if it goes to statement advice, I'm fairly confident it's going to complete. 
Yeah. And are you doing um, like tele-interviews or are you doing um, like, you know, not paper apps these days, um, no. but, but are you doing like the personal statements with the clients or are you doing tele-interviews? Definitely doing it myself. Um, yeah. I, I was at one point a number of years ago doing tele-interviews and I, again, I've, I've got a lot of clients over a lot of range of different industries and spread out over the Hunter Valley and, you know, between Brisbane and, and Melbourne. But I um, had a client up the Hunter Valley, very busy, very hard to get to. Um, you know, it's like with, with pre-assessments, tele-interviews, often things don't come up until you're actually doing the application. Um, even though the model told you they're perfectly healthy or they're on any medication. So this particular client... She was perfectly healthy from what she told me. So I put it down as a tele-interview. Um, as a result, I didn't get to preempt that we're going to get a loading. We came, got, got a loading. Then it was just so hard. It took a couple of months to catch up with her again. And she was surprised. So I would much prefer to do it myself. Oh, can I tell you another story about um, why I do it face-to-face? Had a lady... Um, we went through the whole process of pre-assessments and everything else, um, did the application, and I told her we could be looking at one of three outcomes. A, acceptance of standard rates. B, um, they don't want to touch you at all. Or C, they'll accept your cover with conditions. And those conditions might be a exclusion, so if you've got a dodgy knee, or it could be loading. So if you've got a high BMI, cholesterol, blood pressure, and family history, they might say, yes, we'll cover you, but rather than $200 a month, it's going to cost you 250 a month. Uh, anyway, so I went through the process. We did get a loading because of her BMI, and I went out and saw her. I said, remember the three outcomes? I said, the good news is we've got cover for you. I said, the bad news is we're getting a loading. And she said, let me guess. They've come back. They said, I'm a fat bitch, haven't they? And I said, no, they've having a problem with your weight. I said, she said, what's the problem then? You're at six inches too short. And she just took the paper off me, signed it, gave it back and went away. So she knew that she would be getting loading because I'd pre-assessed it and I'd set the tone. Mm. Yeah, and, and we do that in our – so we do tele-interviews. Well, I only do tele-interviews um, in our business. We don't um, – do any apps and, and I was I was going to make a joke with you. No wonder you get ninety percent um, acceptance because when we get to the drug question, you just automatically tick no for the client. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, but but we do we do all tele interviews and it does give us heart heartache for sure. There are some issues and and it was really interesting. I was speaking to um, uh, general manager at Neos and he was saying that, that a large portion of tele interviews get more exclusions or, or loadings, like so worse terms for the clients when when it's tele interviewed. Um, and and he was kind of saying it was really interesting, you know, are, are the advisors instructing clients to underdisclose or are they disclosing correctly or, you know, we were kind of more, it was a discussion around that, um, around disclosures and, and I said, yeah, okay, maybe if we tell the interview we're getting worse terms for our clients but um, but we, yeah, we spend a lot of time educating our clients on um, what the terms are. We do a full pre-assessment. We basically almost ask them to fill out a personal statement for us uh, internally um, so then we can kind of address all of these things and then when it goes to tele-interview we kind of know okay so the BMI we've already told the client it's BMI we've already priced it we've already recommended everything with the loading built in so the client goes ahead or not because of, because of their BMI um, and so we try and address these concerns in this statement of advice stage and to say if you don't want this cover because of mental health exclusion then let's not go ahead with anything we, do, we don't need to apply for this cover 
But if you're comfortable covering everything else except for that, then happy days. Let's move forward. Yeah, and just on that, I, when I say 90%, that's not a standard rates. I do get loadings and yeah. exclusions, uh, just that we know about it before it comes through. Easy, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it would be nice. 90% standard rates, you must be doing something dodgy if that is the case. <laughs> I don't know anyone's getting that. Um, no, that's really cool. And and in terms of the fee-for-service, so charging, um, and you said you're open to it, what would what would be the reason you would move to charging a fee or just stay on commissions? Um, like, is it, well, Sorry, my, my main question is, is it not working for you today that would cause you to, to make a change in the future or are you comfortable with the charging model? I'm comfortable with it. Um, probably a couple, yeah, I'm definitely comfortable with it. Um, and for your average mum and dad, I don't see a need to change anything there. Um, I've had situations where, say, with the bigger clients, um, they've got lots of different structures. You're spending a lot more time trying to understand their setup. Um, so there's more time involved. There might be more need for that fee-for-service or if I'm also doing a more work with their accountant or their lawyer. So I've, you know, I've had clients ring me and say, look, I'm just with my lawyer now. Can you please tell him how to word that buy-sell agreement? Or a client will email me through the buy-sell agreement and say, can you read over this and just get back to me? Any copies in his lawyer. So if I'm going to be doing more things like that and I'm going to be viewed as an expert and an authority, then I'll possibly look to charge accordingly. Yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting. I and I mean, the question I have for you is: How do you go when clients don't go ahead? You prepare a statement of advice, you do a um, pre-assessment, you do all this work, and then the client's like, mm, "Actually, it's too expensive," or "Or I didn't expect that exclusion," or "I'm not happy." Happy, you know, I don't want to go ahead. Like, how do you how do you you know deal with that? From a you know, you're a small business owner, fresh in business, you've done you know four hours worth of work minimum. I'm, I'm guessing. Um, to then get a get the answer no, like how do you, how do you manage that? Uh, to be honest, if it happens, then I figure I've done something wrong um, between and you know between getting pre assessments, um, talking about levels of cover, not specific levels of cover, and talking about some ballpark premiums. If it gets to the point where I've prepared a statement of advice, they say, "Look, just not interested." I'll go back and look at what what did I miss along the way. Yeah, and, and how many meetings are you having throughout the whole process? Again, your average mum and dad um, be two, uh, generally two. Um, if it's someone who's got a more complex structure, possibly business partners, um, trusts, if I go over and talk to their accountant in between along the way, um, there'll be three involved. And so those two meetings, help me understand that. Do you do like a, an initial fact-finding indication of premiums meeting as the number one and then the second one is statement of advice and application in the one meeting? Is that how it's structured? Oh, statement of advice and application definitely in the one meeting uh, yep. or whenever possible. Um, still get people when I think about it overnight or whatever. Um, but I'll send out, I'll, I'm sure we all do similar things, but I'll send out a, a snapshot questionnaire just to get a, a picture of their situation before the first meeting um, so then I can work out what I think are some ballpark levels of cover, um, do some research on costs and, yeah, so I guess it's a more informed conversation in yeah, that first cool. meeting. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And and for me, the reason why I, um, I love charging an initial fee for our advice, 
we we charge three hundred thirty for individuals and four ninety five for couples, and so but by no means is it a profitable venture if everyone didn't go ahead. But the, the one of the things I love most about it is actually being able to say to clients genuinely, if you don't want this cover for whatever reason, you can walk away and there's no hard feelings from our end and and no issues because there's there's a value exchange there that they are comfortable with. They've paid money for that advice, um, and we are also not getting grumpy because when I was on commission, I used to get really annoyed when I did so much work and clients didn't go ahead. It's like, why the heck are you not seeing the value in this insurance? Number one, you should get insurance. But then also, I've done all this work and, you, and you're not going ahead with any of it. Like, well, that's so annoying. Yeah, it's, it is. But I again, I just look at if, the, if it gets to that point, presenting a statement of advice and it's going to be costing $20,000 a year and their budget's $5,000 a year, and if their BMI is 36 and, or whatever the case may be, it means I haven't done my research properly. So I don't, yeah, I, I'll just cop it on the chin. Um, mm. And that keeps me doing it. Yeah, it keeps me making sure I'm ticking all boxes. And so help me understand with, within that first um, meeting, um, you're talking about, hey, it's going to be, you know, you know, it, it, the cost will be whatever it is. We've got like an indicative cost, but, you know, you're asking the clients about their budget. Is that and, and what they're willing to spend on insurance? Yes. And how's that conversation go? I guess I mean, just to reframe my question is is clients clients don't know what the insurance costs. Well, unless they've already got cover in place, then you know they've got an indication. But if they've never set up these policies, most clients that we talk to, I always say, hey, did you have an idea of how much it was going to cost? Often people say, oh, that's actually cheaper than what I thought, or, or more expensive than what I thought. But if I feel like with my clients, um, now they're younger, they're 33 years old on average and most of them are coming fresh into insurance for the first time. Um, But if I asked them, hey, what's your budget for insurance? I would have a guess that most of them would say much lower than what is even reasonable to get, you know, any type of cover. Yep. I go through, I picked this up from my dad years ago. Um, When it comes to insurance, and this is the conversation I have with the client, when it comes to insurance, most people have one of three philosophies. Uh, firstly, don't want it, don't need it, haven't been the doctor in 20 years, never get the flu, grandma's 105 and still going strong, I'm fine, don't need it. Secondly, want it, um, next door neighbour died, I saw what happened, um, I realised how impact they can have, so we're going to put something in place. Or thirdly, don't like the idea of spending money on something I'm not going to spend, but I want to make sure the family's protected. And just ask them where do they feel they fit. Um, and if they fit in that first group, then we probably shouldn't even be talking in the first place. Mm. Most people fit in that last group that, yep, I want something, but I don't want to pay too much for it. Have you thought about how much you want to pay? And then that gets into the budget, which ticks the compliance box, but also find out do they have a budget? So do they even know what they can afford for insurance? Um, and we'll have a conversation about that. So the most recent one was last Thursday. Um, the husband had no idea, but the wife said $400 a month. Mm. That's $400 a month out of their pocket plus whatever super, sorry, whatever insurances they're putting through super, um, and which also comes into the budget conversation about affordability and how do they feel about using their retirement savings to pay for insurance. So it's a, yeah, it's a fairly thorough conversation piece. Yeah, and and for us, we don't we don't have heaps of numbers of clients not going ahead from the statement of advice, um, but. 
but there are still there are still clients that do it um, and and we're at the end of the day i'm I'm super comfortable with it um, as a business and I talk to the advisors in the team hey if clients don't want to go ahead our job's not to convince anyone to buy insurance they need to make a decision that they feel is comfortable and best suited for them we'll tell them what we think and why we think it but at the end of the day I'll never pay their premiums. I'll never get paid their benefit. And so it's their decision at the end of the day. And so, you know, just coming around, you know, circling back as to why we charge a fee because, because you know, it's good for our business and it, and it makes sense to charge an initial fee. Um, but I also like it as a value exchange because if clients walk away, there's no hard feelings either way. Like they're not feeling guilty or bad and um, like there's any kind of, you know, because if, if someone uses a professional advisor to help them with something and they walk away and not pay a fee, like people do feel kind of a bit bad about it. Um, so that's why I just, I personally have chosen to charge that initial fee. Yeah, I, I again, there's no right or wrong or in my view. Oh, 100%, but, um, not at all. This, yeah, I've again, if the client's coming through, and this probably came back to conversation I would have with clients from the, when I was at Commonwealth Bank, because, you know, some of the bankers would send referrals because they've got KPIs, others would send referrals because, it's the right thing for the client. Um, if you know, if you were sending me a referral, I, I will ask the client. Just can you tell me? Can you give me a bit of an idea? Are we sitting down and chatting because Phil said it was a good idea, and you want to keep in Phil's good books, or are we sitting down because you really want to look do this? Um, and you know, if the answer is, oh, Phil suggested, but some of we've been thinking about for ages, we just haven't got around to it. Um, or yeah, we want to keep Bill Phil in our good books, and he just insisted, so here we are. Um, yeah, yeah, it feels harassing me. I've yeah. got to sit down with you. <laughs> yeah. So that gives you a bit of an idea as to how the conversation is going to go. Yeah. And um, in terms of, yeah, your journey in the first 18 months, obviously it was, it was um, a difficult time personally as you kind of touched on. And, yeah, how, how have you kind of coming through, you know, 18 months in, you kind of, you know, you had really two really good months. The last two months, you're seeing the light and going, okay, this is the right decision. Are you turning back going, what the heck am I doing? Why did I get on this roller coaster? Uh, all of the above. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm confident that I'm heading in the right direction. Um, as far as what causes me grief, probably the back office and I'm just making sure I've got the right people in place. Um, so I've got someone who was working with me at Commonwealth Bank looking after a lot of the back office. She's only just started recently um, and I'm doing some interviews next week and I've got an interview tomorrow with a lady who works um, for herself, subcontracting, for HR. Um, so, yeah, if I talk about what keeps me awake at 3 a.m. in the morning, it's what the stuff that I don't do well, which is why I need good back office stuff. And so, yeah, what does the team look like now at, at Business Risk Solutions? Uh, the team at the moment, we've got myself, uh, Nora, who is, she, oh, she will be doing a lot of running of the business, um, ringing my referrals and just chasing more business stuff as opposed to the processes. Um, and I've got someone through paraplanner.com that subcontracts and she does, you know, from first meeting to SOA preparation. Um, but I'm looking at hiring someone in-house just, yeah, to do that process. 
Yeah, amazing. So, I mean, great job. 18 months in, insurance only. You've got, you know, one team member, another one coming on board, plus, you you know, you've got your power planner that you're outsourcing to. Um, so, you, you're doing a few things well. Um, looking back the last 18 months, what's one thing that you wish? Uh, actually, I probably wish I didn't, you know, start doing that or I wish I did that a little bit differently. Hmm. One, probably letting Nora make more appointments. Um, one thing I learnt working with so many business owners over the years is business owners like to have total control. Um, I didn't think I was going to be like that um, <laughs> because I know people do things better than me. Um, so I probably would have given up more control earlier um, to let them run the processes. I'm, I'm at the point now where, I, yeah, I, I don't want to be copied in on emails if I don't need to be. Um, so, yeah, probably giving up a bit, a bit of control earlier would have been something I'd do if I could go back. And it's really interesting, um, you know, because you've got to, as you're kind of, you know, you've jumped off a cliff, you've got all your, your pieces of the, the aeroplane together and you're trying to build it on the way down as you're falling and, and try and get that plane, you know, working before you hit the ground and so it's a matter of like you're building systems you're building out processes and so you want to understand okay i've built out this process and you know you want the oversight to know is that process working or do you need to rebuild it or do you need to change it and so yeah as a business owner it's really interesting you've got to give up that control and go okay someone else is much better and smarter than me at doing this i'll let them help me build the airplane on the way down instead of me having to do it all myself yeah my i guess using that analogy i probably as the planes last at different times over the last few months or 12 months as that plane's going down i'm trying to think where did i pack that parachute <laughs> um, so I've got I was talking to a lady from our dealer group yesterday just going through some X-plane processes and flows um, and just her and Nora in my office will talk about it and I, I just said to them I don't need to be involved I just want to know what's what's at the end um, Nora knows what I want to be doing um, so I'm quite content to let her and the dealer group set up the flows flow charts um, and to get engaged with someone, hopefully with some HR experience and they can just fine tune all that and just um, I can just keep seeing clients. Yeah, amazing. And um, we're going to wrap up this conversation. This has been a good conversation. I could talk for a long time about starting a business. I love um, listening to people about their journey of starting their business and the issues and the upside and, and what's been going well. Um, but to finish off our chat, um, I've got two questions for you. One first question is, um, what's one interesting hobby that you have? Uh, this was easy. I love running, in particular trail running. I'll head out most weekends for a few hours. I think next end of next month, um, heading down the Blue Mountains and doing a, an event. I've got was it eleven kilometres on the Thursday, twenty-two kilometres on the Friday, and fifty kilometres on the Saturday. I mean, look, that's just dumb. Like, if I'm being honest, that's pretty stupid. Well, that's probably um, what I've got a mental health long. exclusion. That's probably why I've got a mental health exclusion. <laughs> Oh, I tell you what, I hate running. Unless I've got like a, a, a ball in front of me that I can chase, I hate running. Um, my dad bod is, is a testament to that as well. No, I love it. That's, that's definitely my, um, yeah, I often say I run for a living, but I can't get any sponsors, so I have to do financial planning. Yeah, yeah amazing. Um, and wh- when do you get a chance to do your emails? Uh, I wasn't looking forward to this question. Um, there's no system. 
um, at the moment, unfortunately. I was doing it first thing in the morning, um, but my routine has changed. So I do a run and gym first thing in the morning just to start the day with a clear head. Um, so at the moment, probably just through the day as they come in. But that means my inbox is controlling me. I'm not controlling the inbox, so I need to change that. Yeah, I mean, I've asked, you know, plenty of people um, over my time and, and I've still yet to learn any of the good lessons because I, I'm the same. I just kind of, you know, when client when, when my team asks me for something, you know, through our, through our systems or through, you know, other areas, I'm just like, send, put it in my inbox, it'll get addressed because the good thing about emails is I can just do them at night, I can do them in the morning, I can do them, you know, when I've got a little break. Um, but it does mean that the inbox gets slammed <laughs> for yeah. myself personally. I, w- I was like emails would be, you know, 6 a.m. to 8.30 a.m. Um, and then start the day and just that would be it. But um, it hasn't worked out that way. Yeah. All right. Amazing. Thank you so much for your time. Um, now, how do people get in touch with you if they want to know more about, about your business or about your journey? Uh, yes. Email anthony at businessrisksolutions.net.au. Um, I have a Facebook page set up for Business Risk Solutions. Still in the process of setting up a website, um, but that will be coming soon. Great. So if you're a web, web developer out there, hit up Anthony. Um, <laughs> he needs a bit of help 18 months in without a website. Well, 18 months I haven't needed it. Yeah. Yes, but it's, uh, it, I'm sure it'll be helpful having yeah, a website. Yeah, actually, it's my, some of my referral partners with their bigger clients, they're the ones that actually want my website because I've got clients, you know, they're saying, well, clients only do direct them so I can check you out. So that's the reason I'm getting a website. Yeah, yeah, amazing. All right, thank you very much for your time. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time just to kind of share your journey over the last, you know, 18 months and, and prior to that. Thanks, Phil. Appreciate it. Amazing. Thanks. Thanks for joining us today. If you've enjoyed this episode and you think someone else will get value out of it, I'd love it if you could forward it on to them. And as always, we can continue the conversation in the My Risk Advisor Facebook group. All you need to do, open up Facebook and search My Risk Advisor and I'll see you in there.